0: Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. You guys missed that, didn't you, last week? Yes, I knew it. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church Arlington, and I just wanted to welcome you, Um, especially if you're new or just visiting. It is really hard for many people, myself included, to just randomly show up at a church that you're not familiar with. Um, And... It's hard enough to show up at a church that you are familiar with. And so thank you for being here. We hope that you feel welcome. And I will say that our hospitality team, Bonnie and Seth, this morning, um, they're awesome people. And so I want to invite you to swing by and talk to them if you want to get more connected to the church. Or if you just have questions, I'll be around too, so you can grab me if you'd like to chat as well. But yeah, thank you so much for being here. We are continuing a series in... The Ten Commandments, and we are on number four this morning. And so I thought I would start out by talking about The Little Mermaid, because that's relevant. Yes, I know. Wait for it. I have three daughters, so I can't help myself sometimes. It's just in our house all the time. We are watching it. And recently, we checked out a library book that's like a different version of The Little Mermaid. Anyways, I reading it, I started kind of like doing more reflection on what a mermaid is. Um, This is, yes, I know. I never thought I would do that, meditating on what is a mermaid. Um, But it happened. And a mermaid is half fish, half person, um, half woman for the maid. Um, And they live under the sea. And yet in the story of the little mermaid... It's like there's this inescapable draw to the world above the sea. There's a desire and a curiosity and an interest in a different world, a world that they don't really have access to. And that's the whole, you know, spoiler alert, that's the whole <laughs> movie is the Little Mermaid trying to get out of the ocean onto dry land so that she can be fulfilled. Um, and I hadn't really ever thought much of that, but this week I really resonated with that experience of feeling like I'm under the sea. And I think that's something that we all feel in this world when you um, hear about or are exposed to great suffering or difficulty, when um, you have unfulfilled longings and desires, when you experience evil, or when you're just tired. We long for something better. We long to be somewhere else. And there's this, in the book, there's this beautiful drawing um, of the Little Mermaid when she kind of goes up above the water for the first time. And I was just thinking about this from a sensory perspective. Like, I don't like being waterlogged. I don't know many people who do. But imagine yourself just being waterlogged all the time. And you're kind of looking up, cloudy sea above you, looking up at the sun as it's kind of refracted, and the heat and the warmth of it is kind of coming to you, but just barely coming to you through the water. And then you have a moment where you break through, and you see the colors, and you feel the warmth of the sun. And you breathe the air. And you realize that's what I'm made for. It's powerful. It's something that I really was thinking about and relating back to what we're talking about today. Because as we talk about the Sabbath, that's what we're looking at today. Keeping the Sabbath. Keeping it, remembering it, and keeping it holy. This may be more than any of the Ten Commandments Gets us asking a lot of questions and we get into the minutiae of it. We want like a rule book, we want to dive into the very specifics, or maybe we just don't even want to talk about it, and so we just kind of like gloss it over and say it doesn't really matter. But what I want to offer to you this morning is that actually, what the Sabbath is about is that experience of coming up out of the water, of feeling the sun, and it's a gift. And it's brought through a good God who does not require anything of you except for that you rest in his provision, in his grace, and in his love. So let's go ahead and open up this this passage this morning, and then we will dive into the text. We're reading from Exodus 20, and I'm going to start every week by reading verses 1 and 2 because it grounds us. It reminds us of what these commandments are in that they are given to Israel as a gift after they have been saved and they really ground the relationship that Israel has with God. And so Exodus 20 verses 1 and 2 and then we're going to skip through 2, 8 through 11. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we um, we come to you this morning from a position of work, we're busy with our work. We're busy with our work of providing for ourselves. We're busy with our work of making meaning for ourselves. We're busy with the work of trying to please you on our own. And your word, very clearly this morning, has one thing for us to hear, and that is to rest. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to receive that. Help us to understand what your desire is in it, and help us to receive that. Help us to come to you and rest. Help us do that here, even this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to um, put this in front of you guys. I have four R's that form a sentence. I'm very proud of myself. Um, remembering redemption requires rest. That's how we're going to walk through kind of this big bird's eye view of what we're talking about here on the Sabbath and how it applies to us. Remembering redemption requires rest and so that is where we're going to start because in the text you see that's the first word it's remember the sabbath to keep it holy and so remembering what is remembering remembering is recalling the past in the present and for israel in this way it was to become certain of the future remembering the past in the present to become certain of the future. So what is it that they're called to remember? Well, the first thing that the text shows us is that they are called to remember creation. They're called to remember the fact that God created the world and that he set this pattern into creation of six days of work and then rest on the seventh day. And as I was thinking about this, I started laughing because I realized something for the first time, that out of all of the work of creation, and so God created everything that exists out of nothing. And if you can just imagine the power that was at work in creation, it's pretty mind-blowing. And the first people, how much of that did they see? just taking the creation account as it's written in Genesis. Well, they were the last thing created. So they saw none of it. So Adam and Eve were created, and they were created into this world that God had made and provided for them to enjoy, to join him in partnership of filling and forming and subduing and making flourishing happen in this world. But the first thing that Adam and Eve do is rest with God on the seventh day. They were created, and there is evening. And then they were brought into God's resting on the seventh day. That communicates something very powerfully about who we are and who God is. It communicates to us that God has made everything. And that we cannot make everything. It also communicates, though, that we are brought into a relationship with God where he wants to be with us in the world that he's made. That's what he did. And that's what it means for God to stop working. I've always been curious about that. Like, what do you mean that God rested and stopped from his work? Well, what it means is that it was finished. The creation work of God was finished. He had completed it. And every now and then, we get to do jobs that we're actually finished with. And it feels really good, doesn't it? When you're done with something, it's really nice. And so there's this fullness. There's an experience of satisfaction that comes along with a completed job. And so on one hand, God finished his work. And so he rests from doing it because it's completed. But then the other thing that stopping, and God stopping specifically on the seventh day implies, is enjoying the work. God doesn't just finish it, but he enjoys it. He rests in it. He sits down in it. It's like after you're done cutting a freshly mown lawn, you don't just go inside. You shouldn't just go inside. You should enjoy it. You should feel it. You should smell it. And so what we see is that God brings Adam and Eve into this resting of creation. And he shows them this pattern. The other thing that you'll notice is that on that seventh day of rest, there is no evening. It's like an ellipsis. And so God is showing them that actually the end, the purpose of all creation is this eternal rest with God. Now that day did come to an end, but the end of creation, what it will ultimately result in is a perpetual resting, a perpetual enjoying of creation with the creator and his people. And so they're remembering that. But they're also remembering something else. And this becomes even more clear in Deuteronomy, which is kind of like the second telling of the law. And in Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, Moses adds another instruction on how to keep the Sabbath holy. He says that, all of this rest will happen, but then he says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so, there's instruction to remember not just creation, but also to remember redemption. And for Israel, this would have been one of the very um, powerful aspects of the reality of being given the law right after being brought out of Egypt. Because if you think about what Egypt was, Egypt was for Israel a giant question mark on the promise that God made to Abraham. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless many nations through you. He promised to give Abraham descendants and land, a kingdom he would make out of Abraham that would bless all of creation. But they were slaves. They were being oppressed. They were calling out to a God in pain and misery, and they weren't hearing anything. And so Egypt was this giant question mark And the experience of being pulled out the plagues and then the crossing of the sea, seeing the oppressors destroyed, it would have been visceral joy. It would have been an exclamation point, saying that Lord has not forgotten his promises to you. He remembers and he's redeemed you. And that's what redemption is. Redemption is recovering something precious and seeing its purpose fulfilled. It's recovering something precious. Israel was precious to the Lord, and he recovered them, and he saw their purpose fulfilled. And so the Sabbath is pointing them to that remembrance, that Guess what they didn't do while they were in Egypt? Rest. That was one of the complaints. Their work had no end. It was cursed. It was thwarted. There was a cruel master called Pharaoh who was oppressing them. And this is another thing that as you remember redemption specifically is mind-blowing. When you think of a God especially in the context of the ancient Near East where they had these very kind of like specific gods and they would um, get really specific about what these gods did and what they required of you. How many of those gods do you think, when they got to make up whatever they wanted to tell their subjects, like the list of rules that you have to do to follow me and to appease me, how many of them do you think you must rest? Rest was on the list. None. This is completely counterintuitive and countercultural. It's disorienting, in fact. And I know this because when I receive this commandment, what do I do? I get defensive. Like, well, you can't tell me what to do. (laughs) This is my time. I get to decide what I want to do. And that's like, that's the deal we have, God. Like, you've given me freedom. And so I can do whatever I want to do. And it's like, how crazy is that? That is evidence of a mind that has been enslaved for a long time and is used to cruel masters. And cruel gods. And so even this morning, as you're kind of like experiencing this and thinking about this, hopefully freshly, I want you to be aware of that. That defensiveness to this command specifically, it doesn't make any sense. He wants you to rest. We're like, "Mm, no, I don't want that. Yeah, that's because we're used to bondage. We're used to cruel masters. We get kind of comfortable in it. We'll talk about that more. And so if we are to actually remember redemption, rest is required. I'm going to focus on that part of it, it being required next. Is it really necessary? I mean, can't we just remember redemption as we work? Can't we just kind of go about our business and think about it? We don't really have to like stop working, right? Well, I say that yes, it's required because redemption and rest go together. Rest is the outcome of your redemption. And so God doesn't just want you to theoretically, intellectually know about salvation. He wants you to experience it. And this is the kind of rest he wants you to have. He wants you to have the experience of resting with him, of being with him in a way that is uncluttered, undistracted with other purposes, in a way that fully trusts him to provide everything that we need. He wants us to rest. But you know who doesn't want us to rest? The same spiritual forces that were present in Egypt. Resting is a position of spiritual warfare and spiritual aggression. The kind of rest that God's talking about, this remembering of redemption, remembering God in creation, orienting yourself to his story, this is hate speech to the powers of darkness. And so it's necessary, it's required Because you are in spiritual warfare. And so unless you want to get destroyed by the enemy, you need to experience this rest. Okay? Now, don't get wrapped around the axle of trying to make rules about this. Because now you're just turning your rest into work. And that's what Jesus was talking about to the Pharisees. Because that's what they were doing is they said, okay, well, we have, to, we have to make sure that we're really resting, guys. So you can't take any more than so many steps on the Sabbath. You can't say so many words. And so they had all of these rules to make sure that they were following the rule to rest, and it had turned into work. It had turned into righteousness. And so that's another reason why this is required is because the kind of rest that God wants you to experience, that He wants you to enjoy, resting from your labors, but also a resting from what you do for God. And this is more internal. This is really getting into the heart posture of the rest and why it's required. And this is what Jesus says. He says, the Sabbath was not made for man. Or man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. That's what he tells the Pharisees. He says, the Sabbath is not the main thing here. The main thing here is that this is something that will reorient you to your position with the Lord. And there's great freedom and enjoyment. And so if you find yourself looking down on people who don't keep the Sabbath as you want them to, or who aren't as serious about it, Well, you're not actually resting, friends. You're still finding your righteousness in what you do. You're still working. It might not be your physical labor, but it's your spiritual work that you're bringing to God and expecting him to honor it. But he just wants you to come. Come empty-handed. And so the... The memory that we have of our work and what we need to do and how that relates to our position with the Lord needs to be cleansed. And it is cleansed in this way. We come to Him and we aren't working, we're receiving. And this happens physically. So I would encourage you I'm not going to, right? I'm not creating rules for you. But the principle of this rest, I would say it's probably very wise to look at your calendar and say, are you resting? Do you ever have a period of time where you're not working at your job? That you just set aside and you say, you know what? I'm setting that down. I'm not opening the emails today. I'm not taking phone calls today. I'm not going to the office today this is a day of rest where I'm not working. There's a physicality to it. And physicality doesn't just mean your physical body going in. It also means your brain. Your brain is physical. And so this is now, again, like the law will bring conviction. This gift will bring conviction because I know for me and For all of you, I'm sure, it is hard to give your brain rest from your work. It's one thing to kind of just put it down. It's a whole other thing to actually allow your brain to breathe. To not be constantly churning and humming with work. And in some ways, we're so used to that because that's what our employers want. They want productive employees, oftentimes. And you have to watch this, how the mission, I've been at companies where the mission was held up as this thing that's worth sacrificing for, that's worth giving everything for. Well, that mission becomes your God. And that God will not let you rest. Even when you're tired, even when you're breaking you'll be required to go and to serve. And so resting is allowing yourself to heal from that. Because we're still in this world. We are still in a world where work is cursed, and that's part of the curse, is being enslaved to it, of having to serve under masters who want to destroy us for what we can produce. There's a physicality, there's a, psycholo- a psychological aspect our rest. Where it's like, that's why it's required to rest. Because then you're experiencing, you're remembering, you're, in, you're living in the redemption that's been purchased for you. How often? I don't know. One out of seven days. <laughs> I say that tenuously because you can turn that into its own kind of legalism again. But the law gives us, it not only convicts us, it not only shows us of where we're short, but it also is a guide. It shows us wisdom. And so I think there is wisdom in that. So consider that. I was thinking about the reality that happens to us when we get sucked into our work. I've been there. Before I was working for the church, I was working in counseling. And working in counseling, especially in a couple of the environments that I was in, it felt like coal mining in some ways where the places that I would go into, both like physically but then also into people's souls and their emotional distress, was like entering a coal mine. And all the light got clouded out. And something that I noticed and that I experienced is that humans are really adaptive. And so you get used to it. I was getting used to the coal mine. And so it was hard for me sometimes to come up out of the coal mine and think, oh, actually, not everything isn't bad. Like, the light is still shining. There's still beauty. There's still goodness on this earth. But I was disoriented by it because I got used to something else. And I don't know if you can find an analogy in there for yourself, but I've talked to enough of you that I think there often is one where the work the coal mine of your work becomes normal. And it produces its own kind of bondage where you don't want to leave it. But God has something better for you out of the coal mine. There's life beyond the coal mine. He wants you to come up and remember that and to experience it. And so he wants you to rest. And probably most powerfully, this desire is expressed by Jesus. We'll have this up on the screen too. But Jesus is in his earthly ministry and he's kind of describing and trying to teach about who he is, which is, you know, quite a task. He's complicated. And so he's trying to communicate who he is. And this is one of those places in Scripture where you can highlight it, can underline it, because Jesus says very clearly who he is at his most true inner core. This is in Matthew chapter 11, verses, we'll just read 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father. For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Gentle and lowly in heart, giving of rest. That's who Jesus is. How does he do that? He does it by becoming the fulfillment of what Israel was hoping for and looking to. He does it by not only delivering us from the physical oppression of this kingdom, but delivering us from the spiritual oppression of our own heart's desires. He delivers us through the cross. And it's on the cross that he finishes the work of our redemption. There, present with God, creating, sustaining, enjoying the creation, and then there on the cross, redeeming it, finding it again, recovering it, and fulfilling it, saying, it is finished. And so our rest, it's a, it's a joining Jesus in remembering that the work is finished. Yes, we still work. And this is why what we do here in church really matters and tries to give us this experience every week, is because we're still in this race, but we look to one who has completed it. And so I, I was thinking that this would be a helpful way of understanding what we do on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings are basically like an aid station for people who are in desperate need. People who are seeking rest, coming to Jesus, learning from him here. An aid station, I don't know this experientially, I don't run marathons, let alone ultramarathons, but I was reading a story about a guy who took up ultramarathon running, like, after doing other things, and the first one that he did, he was like feeling the euphoria of running this race for the first time, and feeling pretty good, and an ultra marathon, I think, is anything over 50 miles, I don't know, don't quote me on that, something like that, anything over a marathon, maybe, but he's running it, and he's running a 100-mile race, and all the other, there's like aid stations along the way of this 100-mile race every 10 miles or so, And there you go in, the runners go in, and you sit down, you change shoes, you try and eat some food without throwing up, you get cared for, you stop running for a little bit. But another thing that happens during that time is your support team reminds you of what you're doing. You are running this race. There's the trail. And if you don't hit the aid station... You're in danger of going onto a different path. You're also in danger of quitting. You're also in danger of running out of steam, of coming to the end of yourself and getting picked up by your support team. And that's what happened to him. He totally ran out of steam because he forgot this isn't a 30 mile race, this is a 100 mile race. And what we do on Sundays is like that. It's a confession that we are not the proud and the arrogant that Jesus has hidden these things from. We are humble. We're in need. We are children. We need him. And so we come to him where he's promised to meet us in his word, in his sacrament, with his people. And we see the fulfillment of, of our promised eternal rest in miniature. It's like the mermaid coming up and breathing the air and feeling the sun. That's what this is. And it's God who's present and working through us, through the people next to you who are singing with you, singing when you can't sing, the people who are confessing the truth of our redemption in Christ when you're struggling with doubt. And you see the power of a people who are so filled with the Spirit that they're free. They're here freely. Not under compulsion. Not to try and earn righteousness or salvation. But because the righteous one is here and he's filling us. And he's giving us grace and we receive that from him. And so the rest that we have, that we experience, that we receive, it's Jesus' rest. And that rest, purchased on the cross, is now experienced at the right hand of the Father. And this takes faith. This takes a lot of faith to believe this. But when you enter into Jesus' rest... You receive the satisfaction that God has with a job well done by Jesus. You receive that. This is so much better than the garden. This is so much better than what the amazing experience that Adam and Eve must have had on that seventh day, that first Sabbath day, when God was enjoying the creation with them. This is God looking at his son and saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. I am greatly pleased with you. Look at this. This new creation, these people who are made new by my spirit, they are yours. And you are theirs. That is what you receive by faith, by trusting, not by earning, not by thinking by resting by receiving it by trusting it and that's what we remind ourselves every Sunday morning because remembering redemption requires rest please pray with me Father we thank you that this is your word and so we trust it God it doesn't make sense to us we don't We don't trust it. We think that there is an alternative motive. We think that the rest that you give us is a restriction. We think that it limits us. And so, God, I ask that we would this morning trust you again, that we would see the ways that we have been trying to make our own way in this world, trying to make our own way with you, where we have been rejecting the good gifts that you've given us to try and produce our own gifts. Lord, and that we would experience the wonder of the rest that you have for us, that we would receive that, that we would remind ourselves of that, that we would remind each other of that. And Lord, we look forward to the day when that is not just a fleeting experience but we actually get to walk in that. We actually get to spend eternity knowing what it means to enjoy new creation with you, with your people. God, we look forward to that. And until that day comes, Lord, I ask that you would just continue to meet us here, that you would continue to give us what we need to keep going. We thank you for your word and for how it guides us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.